This is Just Keep Talking and I am about to start this podcast and take you on a journey into my life, Chad's life, our life. It's kind of one and the same really once we finally got together. So um, here goes nothing. Um, by the way, this is 40 minutes, an hour maybe that you can't get back if you life. So decide wisely if you want to stay on board. Um, but for those who do, I appreciate it greatly and I am excited to get going on this. Luckily today I don't have video on me, which is maybe better or worse, but I've been told I've got a face for radio. So, um, yeah, now they throw it at me that, Hey, in the future episodes, we're probably going to have a film on you and you know, all that good stuff. And I'm like, well, shit, that means I might actually have to pay attention to what I wear. I'm not going to. I just want you to know. It'll be the same old me, video on, video off, probably messy bun, jeans. I don't think so, actually. I'll probably just wear um, sweatpants, tights, and um, a jumper. A jumper is a sweater for those Americans that don't know the Aussie lingo. Anyways, I'm going to be in here comfortable as I normally would because that is who I am. So I'm not about to dress up for you unless it's a fabulous vacation or, sorry, not a vacation, a fabulous outing and um, there involves dancing. Then I might actually dress up, wear some heels and, you know, I'm in. So I guess in order to know about me, um, you kind of have to know about my life and where I come from and, you know, really get to know who I am behind the scenes. And I think that, uh, it's kind of interesting because we assume that we know people because we see them, right? You know, social media these days, it's kind of like you, you see so much of somebody. So you assume that you know them, but really you don't, you know, it's, it's a choice of what people Put out and it's you know it's a fraction of somebody's life really you don't really know who they are where they are you know what they've been through and let's be honest people are posting pictures from six months ago that they like today because they have nothing else and they needed the content that's how the world is operating right now it's like content 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 and it's not necessarily authentic content it's just keep people involved, keep people entertained, you know, um, drive uh, people to your side, et cetera, et cetera. So I feel like we get to know something about people, but, you know, we don't really get to let get let in on who they really are and what they've been through and, and, and why. So in doing this podcast, um, I hope that I can peel down a whole bunch of layers of things that maybe people assumed about me, Chad, our lives, etc. and um, let you in. So forgive me if I, you know, can't talk or get the words out because there's a lot to say and I feel like, you know, it's going to take me a while to get in the rhythm. It's kind of like when people are doing um, commentary and people are so quick to judge on you know, these commentators in, you know, any sports or stuff, especially our sport, right? And it is actually really hard to be able to verbalize what you're thinking right at, 
you know, the time that something's happened um, and happening, you know, especially in our sport, things are happening. You want to say the right thing, get it out quickly. And it's actually, it's a lot harder than it looks. And I consider myself a talker. And if I'm sitting here having a conversation with somebody, like I'm not lost for words because it just keeps rolling. But when you're sitting in here talking to the world, no one, anybody, it actually is really, really intimidating. So take that on board and realize that it is a lot harder than it looks. And I kind of think that about Chad too, when he's riding and racing, I'm like, oh my gosh, you don't even look like you're trying. And really when you get on a motorcycle and you actually try to ride around a track, it is so freaking hard. But from up in the stands, you're like, is he even having a go? What the fuck is he doing? Why is he not hitting that? Why is he not doing this? And we're so quick to jump on somebody. But then you get down there and you walk the track after and you're like, holy shit, that is so scary. Not to mention if you actually put on, you know, get on a motorcycle and try to ride. Like if you've ever tried to ride through sand or, you know, through some ruddy area, literally just going on a straight line. It is actually really difficult. Like, you know, when we were in Florida and we were first teaching the kids how to ride, um, you know, they'd go through sand. You know, there was sand everywhere on the property in Florida. And, you know, you just see them and they just wash it out. And it, it actually is so hard. So for just a minute and a lesson on judgment, um, if we could all take a minute and say, she's new. She's very new. She's new on the mic. She's new in this studio. I'm taking it all in. I feel like a new puppy in new surroundings where I kind of want to touch everything, touch all the buttons, which I'm not going to touch all the buttons because then I'm going to ruin everything. But that's kind of how I feel. I'm like looking around, absorbing everything. Luckily, they're not videoing me today because honestly, I'd be in here like looking like, and you'd be like, what is wrong with her? But I'm just... I'm absorbing, I'm processing, I'm like still actually sweating now that my armpits actually work. I swear, I just got my implants taken out for those who are new here. And three weeks ago, I had surgery. And so now I don't have an implant protruding into my armpit. That's like the best feeling ever. So anyone considering doing it, okay, my boobs look weird. I'm going to be honest with you. And it's kind of like, maybe I look and identify as a 12-year-old boy now, but my armpits work. So there's that. You know, you've just got to see which is the grass greener for you. And if you can see how many faces I was pulling right now, there's a lot. But anyways, laugh with me. It's never too soon for a joke, okay? And another dad joke here. I've got a lot to get off my chest. And I obviously just did get a lot off my chest. Actually, about almost 1,200 cc's off my chest. Who am I kidding? Like, really? That's a lot of boob. My mom goes, Ellie, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but um, they've been way too big for way too long. I was like, thanks, mom. I appreciate it. So obviously she just loves me and my natural gorgeousness. Thanks, mom. That's what moms are supposed to say. But gosh, I really didn't think I was getting into this. And now we've jumped around for 30 different things. But here's a quick rundown on that. Okay, so I was 19 and um, 
I decided I wanted to get implants and living in Southern California um, and moving there, I really am jumping around. I'm going to get to all the good stories, but I just wanted to put this out there real quick because I know it's a fresh topic and people have a lot of questions. So I got my implants in when I was 19 and I wanted to have a curvy chest that matched how curvy my butt was. And now it's the big fashion for everyone to have like, you know, minimal chest, natural curves. Um, Everyone's building up these big butts at the gym. And I was like, oh my gosh, where was that 20 years ago? Because seriously, in high school, they called me tank ass. And I hated how big my butt was. You know, back when JLo used to get ridiculed about how big her butt was. And now everybody's like, oh my God, goals, whatever, you know, like, cause she's killing it and she's 50 and she's hot as heck, um, doing the Super Bowl show. So another reason to just be yourself because she rocked that ass for 20 years and now everybody wants one. And she is definitely, um, she's just goals for being a powerhouse woman and rocking her body and, I'm sure she's had little bits and pieces done here to enhance her beautiful self. But at the same time, she's stuck with what she had. And um, I'm I'm really all about it. I wish that I was in that same situation where I just rocked it myself. I'm not. So I've got to go back and say, okay, this is what I did. And my daughter who now observes my nasty scars under you know, where they had to reduce the skin and take out the implants and she's witnessed everything. And I'm like, well, I will use my scars to help somebody else, you know? So I decided to go public on my Instagram about it and just kind of be more transparent about it because I felt like if I didn't, I was hiding something, you know, and I didn't want to sit there and have to hide what I was going through. I just wanted to be open and honest about it. And if that helps another woman, young girl, feel more comfortable about her body, decide to make a choice to stick with, you know, what she already has and um, be the best version of her own self, then, hey, that's kind of what this podcast is all about. You know, I haven't always done the right thing. Um, I consider myself a good girl at heart. I grew up in a family where I was taught right from wrong. That doesn't mean we're perfect people. Um, And I don't think that me sitting here pretending I'm perfect helps anybody. I've always had a big passion for wanting to stand up for something that I believe in. Um, I am very passionate about equal rights for for, you know, women and men, um, gender equality. Uh, I, I want to stand up against, um, discriminations of any kind. And I've always been actively involved in stuff like that, even from a young age. Um, you know, in high school, I would go to, um, I was on state representative councils for my school and we would go and meet and work on, you know, how we could, um, you know, how we could better our, our peers in our classes by, 
um, opening their minds to, you know, such things as discrimination and, um, you know, all kinds of things, being an advocate for, you know, each other and, you know, things, things that matter, you know, especially to young people. So anyways, in getting back to that girl that I used to be, I felt like it was important to share about my, um, recent surgery. Um, I had capsular contracture repetitively and I kept going back in to have it redone. Capsular contracture is when the capsule around the implant contracts and then um, it basically, you know, disfigures your your breast. So it's like mine were like up under my chin and up into my armpit and, you know, and they were extremely painful. So after about three or four times of having that surgery again and again and again, which mind you, how many times do you run into a wall before you're like, okay, that's dumb. But here I am. This is me. I wanted those boobs so bad. Okay. That's how bad. Because I felt like I needed them. Like I felt like more womanly and um, I was in a space and time in my life where I wasn't okay in my own skin and I finally got to that point. So when it happened again, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Um, there would been a few girls um, that I had seen um, that went public with their breast implant illnesses and all those kinds of things. And I just was kind of like, you know what, I'm 37. I am married to an amazing man who loves me. I have three children. And I am in a space in my life where I actually feel like my old self and I am loving myself. I'm learning to love myself. I'm back at the gym. I want to get strong. I want to get healthy. I want to get fit. Why the heck do I have these things still in there? Like my body is literally fighting against them, con- you know, consistently over the last, you know, four to five years. And I keep repeating the same mistake. So I'm an idiot and for doing that because I'm ignoring the signs and all the things that I want on the other side of them, they don't involve breast implants. They involve a healthy, strong woman. Um, I want to be a better role model to my daughter. Like, and so it just didn't fit anymore. So I decided to do it. And then um, the first available time was during Supercross, which, you know, once you really get to know us, you'll realize that nothing happens in the middle of Supercross, like life stops and Supercross happens. And so I said to child, this is the next available time, you know, like I, I, I need to just put it off. We need to just wait till the end of Supercross. He's like, no, he's like, you need to get yourself well. And I was like, okay. So these were uncharted territories where I was like, shit, we're like Ellie's doing her own thing during Supercross. Like this is weird. So I booked it in and we went and did it and handled it. And he was a champ handling the kids and himself. And um, I got better and here we are. So I another goal of 2020 was to get this podcast going. And so here I am doing both. No boobs on a podcast, getting stronger, doing this thing, 
It's a lot, ladies, especially when I first started doing um, stories on my Instagram. It was kind of like the first time I, you know, ripped off the Band-Aid as far as that. And I got on there and it was, um, it's it's not, um, are you okay day in Australia? They have, um, and it's basically for suicide prevention. And it kind of just struck me and I was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to get on my stories and I'm going to talk. And I am so extremely uncomfortable talking into my phone. Like it was literally a thing where I was like, oh my gosh, I look like a total dickhead. But then I realized, okay, that is what I look like. And I'm just going to have to deal with that. And I pull faces and I'm not going to sit there and be pretty, you know, like I, that's me. And realistically, Anyone that knows me knows that that's what I look like when I talk to them. So why am I hiding? So I got on there and I spoke for the first time. Like I said, it was probably maybe September of last year. I don't know. Not quite a year. But anyways, um, it prompted me to start something. And I got on there and, you know, just reached out to people like, are you okay? And, and we sometimes fail to do that in our lives, ask if people are okay. And um, I think it's really important. It, like most people surface, you know, again, you see what's on someone's social, in, you know, social media and Instagram and whatever, you know, you use. And it, it's not necessarily who they are, you know, they may have a face full of makeup and they look beautiful, but underneath they're struggling with something. And so, um, you know, or it may be that you're on this fabulous vacation, but inside you're like, again, struggling with something. And so I reached out on Instagram and I was just kind of like, okay, if you need to talk to somebody, you're not alone, like literally reach out to me. And a couple of people actually did and I wrote back and I took the time and, and I was like, you know what, if I can help one person, that that's amazing. You know, like it doesn't have to be that I'm reaching the whole world, you know, like I don't have to say one thing and everybody hears me. I could say this and use this, you know, podcast or use that um, Instagram feed to reach one person and if it helps them then great so a little while after that it kind of prompted me to say okay I might start a podcast I've never done a fucking podcast before I'm like I had barely even listened to podcasts and Chad's like um okay you're gonna do a podcast that's cool he's like do you listen to podcasts and I was like no do I have to I'm just gonna do what I want to do he's like well you're supposed to have guests and stuff aren't you and I was like well maybe but I'm going to get on there and I'm just going to talk and I'm going to talk about all the things because my Instagram story just cuts me off all the time and I was run out of, you know, like time on there and then I get interrupted and so I'm literally going to go in there and just record and record and record and talk and talk and talk and it's going to go from one thing to another to another and be unpredictable basically how I am in real life and he's like, okay. And so... Here I am doing it. So like I said, I've already jumped around and I have zero plan. The only thing I brought on this piece of paper, it says start. 
be all of you. And that's actually really fucking hard to be all of you. Okay? Like, I say to Chad when he goes racing, I'm like, just let yourself go and let yourself be and just be all of you. Like, and it's it's so much easier to say than it is to actually do it. Because you kind of like have that little 10 to 15% that you kind of hold back because you're like, oh shit, what if they fucking hate it? And what if you do? So then they don't tune in. But I'm here for all the people that actually want to listen. And maybe it's just here for me. Maybe I'll just be laying here on this couch, talking, talking for hours. And then I come out and I'm like, whoa, I feel better. Like I've just had the best therapy session. Only there's no one here telling me how to think or telling me what to need to do better. There is no better way to to, to um, analyze your thoughts, your life, than to actually just say it out loud. And I think that's what Just Keep Talking is all about. It's like, let's just have a conversation. Let's just talk about it. And once you get it out, it feels so much better. Like me and my mom always would argue you know like and literally screaming matches and we're like well we'll never have an ulcer because we've got all that out and literally we just have it out and then we move on whereas Chad and his family like that's not how they operate they just don't talk about it they're just quiet and they just internalize it and you know whatever else and then nothing gets resolved and and then that's how it goes and that's a story I'll throw in there later so stay tuned for that one. But the whole point is, I'm a talker, I get it out, you know, and it's kind of like, okay, let's not judge in the mess of the talking. Like, you know, my kids are like, blah, 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 blah. they ramble on about whatever's going on. And then they take a minute. And then they actually come out with what's actually going on, you know, and it's super important for kids like, you know, they'll be carrying on you know, especially at nighttime, you put them to bed, right? And you're like, oh my God, will you just go to sleep? And it's the time that they want to get chatty, which I'm so guilty of. My mom would be like, Ellie, just go to sleep. And I'd be like, I just want to tell you something. I was like, and now it's all paying back to me. So I just want you to know whatever you did as a child to your parents, it's going to come back to you tenfold. And it does. But knowing how important those times were made for me as a child, I go in there and I'm like, okay, tell me. And so then they'll ramble on with whatever, you know, like, and it might end up at first it's like this whingy little conversation. And then all of a sudden it gets down to the nitty gritty of, you know, this happened at school, that happened at school, da, 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 da. And it ends up being one of the best conversations you have with your kid, you know, during the day and one of the most important. So I do actually um, encourage you to, you know, take that extra five, 10 minutes. And, and I go around to each kid's room, you know, they all end up sleeping in the same bed, by the way, but we put them to bed, you know, in their beds, try to wind them down because they get so wound up, which I'm so guilty of. Just ask Chad, you get me talking in bed and then I've got the giggles and then I can't go to sleep. And then it's very chatty. And he's like, Ellie, go to sleep. So I just want you to know I'm still doing it, mom. No worries. Um, Anyways, back to it. Take that minute with your kids. Have that conversation. Um, They end up giving you something in their day. And maybe it is something good. Maybe it's something bad. And 
just being able to talk about it really is, I mean, it's seriously, it's everything in your life to have somebody to listen to what you need to say. And it's life-changing. And um, if we all had a safe space to say the things that we needed to say, I think that the world would be a better place. I think that people would be in a better place. And um, so anyways, I'm here to share my journey, my life, all kinds of tidbits and takeaways and things that have happened in my life that I hope um, by listening that somewhere along the line you get to take something away that helps you in your life. And so that is my reason for doing it, my purpose, my why, I guess. Chad was like, he did, he asked me, he's like, what part of telling our whole story, like, you know, what part of that is good for you? You know, and I said, I just have this massive need to help people and to communicate and to put out stories and things that we've done, you know, in order to, to be better. And I just, um, I, I can't not do that. My need to communicate is like his need to ride or to race. It's just there. You can't help it and you can't switch it off. So here I am. This is just keep talking and, um, I'm going to take you back to where it all started for me. And that is in Curry, New South Wales, Australia, where I was born. Okay, so once a pot of time, that's how Pace makes me start. Um, well, he doesn't make me start. That's how he starts his bedtime stories. When he, we uh, read stories at night, he says, once a pot of time. And I hope he never actually realized that it's once upon a time because it's so cute when kids have their little things. It's like, says Wookie instead of rookie and seriously he's so serious about when he says Wookie and I really I don't want him to grow up anyways I hope no one ever grows up I kind of want everyone to have that little bit of Peter Pan in their life so once upon a time there was a boy and a girl actually it was my mom and dad because this love story starts with them and they both grew up in Curry Curry, New South Wales, Australia. Okay. And um, my dad rode his horse up onto my mum's, um, you know, parents' house on their grass. And um, my pop comes out and told him to piss off and get off his grass. So that's basically how the love story started. Um and anyways, they got together when they were young. Um, and again, they neither one of them were wealthy, privileged people. Um, my dad had a horrendous childhood um, and he turned his life around um, and he started playing football when he was really young and he put everything into that and it gave him a a reason for being and um I'll talk more about that probably in a later episode but um it's super significant I guess he, you know he had a really hard childhood and um with you know physical and emotional abuse and um 
he turned his life around because he put everything into his sport of um, rugby league football. And my mom grew up um, with, you know, a brother and sister and my nan and pop were my favorite grandparents. And they both died when I was young. Um, my nan died when I was 13. So that was, um, yeah, a shitty part of my life. But I am thankful to have had those uh, grandparents because they were the ones who helped raise me when my both um, full-time parents, uh, full-time working parents, um, you know, were at work and busy and stuff like that. So um, my mom is a school teacher. My dad is a coal miner. Both of them are both in their early 60s and um, still working. So I am a coal miner's daughter and um, I come from hardworking um, roots, I guess. Um, sorry, I keep saying um, um. So my mom went to the high school that I went to and um my dad went to a different one. Anyways, it's kind of funny because um, Curry High School was a love nest, by the way. I'll just add that in. I'll get to that later. So the day I was born, my dad was playing football and my mom was like, oh, don't come to the hospital yet. It's going to take forever. And so he went to play football and was going to meet her later. And I was in a hurry to get into the world and I came out before he even step foot on the football field and so it was announced um at curry curry football ground that um peter brady had had a daughter so anyways he played his football game and then came up and saw me so thanks dad you missed my birth and um basically from the get-go sports has always been you know a religion in my life as far as importance and um so it's never been a weird thing for me to put that first so obviously when Chad came along and in my life it wasn't an abnormal thing for you to drop life and do the sport so um anyways I am one of four children I have an older sister she's 13 months older than me I was an oops baby some would say a mistake but I would just say an oops I was very much meant to be, and I know my mom would say I'm the best mistake, oops, she's ever had, except for maybe her fourth child, which was another one, Jenna. But um, I have a brother three years younger than me, and then another sister who is 10 years younger than me. So again, one of four, um, I thought that my childhood was one of the best childhoods ever, and um, we were not... Um, we were not rich by any means. Um, we went through many periods where it was like, no, we're not having that and we're not having this. And, um, you know, we, we had to toe the line and we didn't get everything we wanted. And I had a very normal childhood, I think. Um, like I said, my parents worked really hard to have everything that we had. It wasn't the fanciest by any means but we had a family that loved each other and you know we spent nights at the dinner table you know where everyone yelled at the same time and talked at the same time and um that's one of my favorite things about our family is we all get at the dinner table and everyone talks and chats and 
yells over the top of each other and it's totally organized chaos. But like I said, um, that's one thing that I love the most um, about my family and we're still like that to this day, even when I've been living across the other side of the world for, you know, almost 20 years. So we are still that close. Um, We still have those massive arguments we still have those massive loves like um I don't know I just remember that show brothers and sisters that used to be on um way back in the day maybe you don't know but anyways we always used to be like that's our family you know everyone would text each other about the other one and you know everybody knew everyone's whole business and whatever else so we are extremely close um still regardless of the distance and um we Chappy came a part of that family and I guess we need to get to that part of how he did come into that family um so when when I was well I started high school when we were, I was 13 so in Australia um we start seventh grade which is high school um my high school was seventh through 12th and um so starting high school Chad, a little background on him. Um, And when he comes on here, I'm going to have him come on and I'll ask him all the nitty gritty details of his life as far as growing up and stuff like that. So we can really get to know him even better. But um, when when he was, um, sorry, when he was uh, 13, his parents bought 25 acres. you know, right near Curry Curry. And so he could get a track and be able to practice. Obviously, things have had evolved to a point where, you know, he was ready to have his own track needing that. And so his parents, um, his parents did that. And he moved from West Wall's End, which was um, probably 20 minutes away from where I grew up. And um, he moved to Curry. So they, um, they lived in a, we call it a caravan in Australia. He lived in a, um, a trailer on the property. Um, and his parents like cleared area, build him a track, the whole bit so that he could move up there and train and live and evolve to the next phase of motorcycle racing. And like I said, I'll get more into that when he's in here so he can kind of speak for himself. But that was the reason that he moved. And so he started high school with me and we met when we were 13 years old. Um, I'd like to hear his version of the story, but mine is, I first noticed him when I walked into the library at school. Um, He was sitting down on a chair and I kind of just, it was kind of like one of those looks and then you know, I was off doing my own thing, whatever. So that was the the first, you know, initial look. Um, We flirted with each other a little bit um, in a few years after that, but um, we never got together. He was always kind of busy racing. um, So yeah, he was always the shy guy. um, So it wasn't like he was super talkative and, you know, um, he wasn't, like he didn't show off and be one of those guys that were always trying to get everybody's attention. He was he was he was quiet and he was actually a good boy. Um he struggled in school and um you know, he had a 
hard time with the academic side of things, but he wasn't, he wasn't like a naughty boy. Um, so whereas I was like super into school and I was in every like student representative thing and, you know, school dances, I would show up and I'd be the first one on the dance floor and like dancing, you know, like I didn't have to stand on the sidelines and, you know, wait, whatever. I was like straight in there. Um, anything that involved, you know, being a part of something I was on. I was even on the boys football team at one point, but then um, as we got older, I wasn't allowed to play anymore because um, I had boobs, which what a joke now. I could probably play again. Um, but I, I loved playing football. I was on the basketball team. I'm not even told. That's the beauty about being in a small town school is you can play all these sports that you would never actually get to do if you went to a big school because obviously you wouldn't get a spot. But I got a spot based on the fact that, um, you know, there was always left <laughs> leftover places. We They needed more people. So anyways. I, I thoroughly enjoyed sports as well as um, the student representative council stuff. And I was actually school captain, by the way. That's my claim to fame. So I always cared about, um, I guess, you know, doing a good job, helping out, representing, making speeches, doing all those kinds of things. Um, anyways, I guess the most significant story that I could probably tell on this first episode would be how we actually first got together. So um, when we were 16, everybody, you know, like started having 16th birthday parties. And um, one of my good friends, um, Crystal Stofa, she was having her 16th birthday party. And um, she lived out in the bush, you know, kind of, oh, it's not far from where Chad you know, lived. And so anyways, it was a bush party. And at the time, um, you know, we were all going and we'd have like a, you know, like a bonfire, everyone would bring their drinks and we just sit around, play music, drinks, you know, we just had our little girls group, boys group, whatever. Well, Chad had already left school at that point and um, he dropped out I think he went to the first day of 10th grade and then he was like, yeah, no, nah, it's not for me. And he decided to go full-time professional racing. So backstory before this party is that he was racing full-time and he had broken his leg and he had surgery um, and he was off racing. So nobody had seen him in quite a while because he was off doing his thing and racing worlds and school worlds didn't necessarily you know, coincide anymore. And so um, he was off and he thought that he might go and um, catch up with a few of his old friends, you know, because he's sitting at home. He's 16. He's bored as hell because he's broken. And um, it's kind of lonely when you're not on the race scene and you're just, you know, you're, you're a 16 year old boy and you haven't, he hadn't at that point lived any part of a normal you know, just being a normal kid. So this was kind of his first, you know, okay, I'm going to go to a party. 
And so, anyways, like I said, it's small. It's like we know everybody there. It's the same group of people. It's not some big rave crazy party. It's literally like there was maybe like 25 people there and everyone that we'd grown up with. So our parents know their parents know their parents know their parents. It's just how it is. So it wasn't like sending your kid off to some crazy thing. But at the same time, if my kids say, Mom, I'm going to a bush party, I'm like, ugh. No bush parties. We said that at my um, sister's, um, you know, like baby shower where there was uh, advice to give to your kids. We wrote no bush parties. Anyways, it's a funny joke with my family. If you're not laughing, don't worry about it. Um, okay, so and I at the time, my mom would get me a little you know, the smaller bottle of Southern Comfort and a bottle of Sprite. And that was my drinks and she would buy it for me and drop me off at the party and she would pick me up. And before anyone places judgment on that, I would just like to say that, um, well, for one, the drinking age in Australia is 18 and I'm not here to promote alcohol or drinking or anything like that. I'm just telling you the stories and whatever. This is, this is how it was for me in my life so um and I'd grown up around it you know whatever it wasn't a big deal to me um anyways she bought it for me I never once lied to her I never once snuck out of the house I never once snuck alcohol I never once snuck anything um I didn't need to so you know before everyone's like oh my god I can't believe your mom's sending you off to a party at 16 buying you alcohol um you know I like I said she bought me what she bought me I was never one of those ones to be sneaky and um we always had a very open um you know honest relationship where I didn't need to do any of that so also in that fact she took away part of the thrill of being that um you know like ooh, let's go drink this let's do that like it wasn't a big deal I was like I'm allowed to have it what's the point it's just like um you know it's like who cares so I never felt the need to go and have to write myself off and then sober up before my mom come or whatever else it was because I'm not an advocate for alcohol or you know party you know whatever but I have had my fair share, okay? And um, I'll get to that a little bit later. So anyways, I had my Southern Comforts and Sprites and whatever else. Well, all of a sudden, we're just having this party, songs going, bonfire. You know, it's kind of like, well, it's August. So it was colder because Australia has opposite seasons than here. And um, up rides. Okay, so he's on this like, Suzuki um scooter type thing that they had loaned him because obviously he's broken leg and so he rode over on his scooter from his house to um you know the Stofa house and um we're like who the heck is this and then we're like oh it's Chad Reed what's Chad Reed doing here you know and it was kind of like a big reunion whatever so everyone's hanging out and stuff and then he's sitting by the fire and he's um you know, he had his leg bent and he kind of had this weird cast where it was like, you know, cut off at the knee. So it kind of stuck up, made it seem like there was um, almost like he had a fake leg. Anyways, 
not sure exactly, maybe just a little bit of Ellie, maybe a little bit of Sprite and Southern Comfort courage. Anyways, I'm like there sitting on his lap, like having a big chat. And I'm, I mean, that's not actually like me, like being all trying to come on to him. Like literally I'm just that bold and weird that I'm like over there, like right in his face, having a big conversation, like, oh yeah, so what's been happening and catching up and whatever else. And anyways, um, it was the first time I'd really had like an actual decent conversation with him because before he was always so quiet and whatever else. And maybe I was just too busy doing my thing, la-di-da, that I never gave him the time of day. But anyways, I was listening to what he'd been up to and stuff. And um, I kind of, it's kind of weird. It's so weird. But then it's so like if you believe in fate or whatever it's so weird to think back that on that very night I was like sitting there and I'm like oh my god your eyes are so beautiful and they were like they're really dark blue and like I'm not encouraging you all to get up in Chad's face and look at his eyes because he might actually swing a punch but if you ever get a chance to actually take in his eyes they're they're actually really beautiful blue and um I said to him when I'm ready to have babies, I'm going to come and see you because I want my babies to have blue eyes like you. And I am like literally serious about it. Like I don't have, plan on having sex with you right now or anytime soon, but here I am planning out my children's lives with this guy. And I'm like, now looking back, I'm like, shit, that was like a, such a, such a line. But I honestly did not mean it in that way. Anyways. Um, by the way, I just want you to know that he pulled through with two blue eyed babies out of three, which isn't bad. Kaya's a little bit pissed that she has brown eyes like me because she didn't want brown eyes. And I'm like, sorry, babe, I didn't get to choose. Your dad, your dad came through with two, so I'm going to have to keep him. Um, but anyways, back to that night, I was like, oh my gosh. So anyways, we end up like hooking up. And when I say hooking up, it was just innocent little kissing for 16 year olds, whatever. Anyways, um, my friend comes and grabs me and like pulls me to the side and she's like, Ellie, do not go in the bush with Chad Reed tonight. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not going to go in the bush with Chad Reed. Let me tell you. And so anyways, it was, it's pretty funny when you look back because it's all little and cute and innocent and whatever else. And I was very much a virgin and very much planned to stay that way at least for a little while longer. But, um, it's, you know, and I did have a good girl reputation where I was like, you know, the boys at school would rip me off and be like, Oh, you're going to have to have a ring on her finger before you get that one. And I was like, yeah, you do. You know, like I was actually proud that they all knew that you dicks. Um, they all know who they are. And if I saw him today, you know what, we'd have a laugh about it. Cause that's kind of how we are. We'd probably be at the pub having a couple of beers and just laugh about all this stupid crap because I don't know, that's, I guess the small town and that's the, the good part of small town stuff is like a lot of the people are still there doing their thing and they'll probably listen to this and have a laugh and, you know, know that it's them I'm talking about, you know, it's you. But at the same time, it's, it is pretty cool, um, 
you know, to have those memories and everybody's super close and like just all the stupid shenanigans we used to get up to. Um, and I do, I love that about small town life. Like I used to ride my bike and we would have like the, literally the bush was at the end of my street. And so, you know, like we would ride our BMX bikes and go, you know, like ride over the jumps and do all stuff. I mean, I couldn't do like big jumps, but you know, like just riding through there and we could go anywhere we wanted and, you know, come home when it's dark. I remember we'd go like, I don't know what they call them here. I think maybe it's a yabby, but we call them crotchies. And you go like, we'd go crotching down in the like little puddles and throw cow shit at each other and just all random stupid stuff like that. But it's like, I feel like I really got to be a kid, you know, like I could go wherever I wanted and, you know, like my friends all lived like in a pretty close radius. And so I would just walk to their house and we'd meet up and we'd, you know, hang out. And um, as we got older and into those teenage years, like there was like, you know, a group of the girls, a group of the boys. And um, we all just, I don't know, like all our parents knew each other. And it was just such a safe little group that we'd all hang out and do stuff with, you know, and um, it was I don't know. I just feel lucky. And and so now when I go home and I see all those people and they're all grown up and with their kids, it's it's pretty wild and it's actually really cool. So um, like I said, I I love that I grew up in a small town. I love that, um, you know, that my childhood was really just a normal, seriously normal childhood. Um, I feel really lucky that I didn't grow up um, – privilege like everything that we have we had we knew we had to work for we knew we had to earn you know it wasn't just you know like I watched my parents work really hard round the clock and um you know my mom a mother of four like working full-time and um just she was always there and she still is always there and now she's there with the grandchildren and everybody else like she just always made made us the priority I guess you know and um I don't know I just feel really lucky like the same thing with that night you know like she dropped me off she picked me up and she picks me up from that party after he left and she goes so how was the party who was there and apparently I said Chad Reed three times and she kind of thought to herself oh I wonder what's going on there and um yeah that was kind of how she knew mom's always know by the way um, and now that I am a mom, I'm like, fuck, moms really are switched on. They do know everything. Um, anyways, it was funny the first time that I brought, um, Chad home to meet, um, you know, my mom and dad, my family, whatever. And like I said, um, football was religion in our house. So it's like, we didn't have anything to do with dirt bikes. I didn't grow up around them. We didn't ride them. I mean, my dad would is not handy by any means. Sorry, dad, but you're really not. He's not that, you know, like let's go on mechanic type stuff. Like, no, it's like go and drop that off and let somebody else fix that because you're just going to pull it apart and ruin it and it's never going to go back together. So that wasn't the dad I had. He was, it was like ball sports, let's get into it, training, physical stuff. Um, he was big into like eating, you know, and, um, still to this day like loves to read a book about health foods and you know whatever he was he's very into um the mental 
side of the game and um, was always, you know, just, you know, I guess that's where I get my pep talks from is that that's how he is, you know. And so I grew up exposed to that type of thing. And then also my mom where it's like my dad played football till he was 37. Like we packed up our family every weekend and it was like a football game here, a football game there. Um, and that's what we did. You knew you just go and support, you know, support dad or, you know, then my brother started playing and we were in sports and stuff like that. It was just like, you know, everybody's doing their sports and that's what came first. And, um, so I watched her kind of, you know, make it possible, I guess, you know, so she was a big role model for me in the fact that, um, it wasn't a weird thing for me to, you know, to to step into that role. Like, that's what I saw my mom do the whole time, you know. When Chad came to meet my um, family, and like I said, we had nothing to do with um, motorcycles or anything. That wasn't my background. It wasn't how we met. It wasn't, you know, like, I knew Chad rode, but I didn't really know to what extent. And even as we started first dating, like, I didn't really know anything. Um, I hadn't seen him ride. I hadn't seen a video. It was like back before we had phones and all those kinds of things. So it's not like I, I honestly, I didn't have a clue. Um, he comes over to meet my parents and my dad's like, what position does he play? And I was like, oh, he rides bikes. And he's like, what? (laughs) And so anyways, um, which I guess takes us to our next thing, which is, about four months later was going to be Chad's um it was one of like his first supercrosses coming back um in the season it was in January and it was in Newcastle and so this was the start of 99 and um he he invited us to go watch and so I was like okay and I was like all right I'll bring my whole family and my so I make these shirts like I look back and I'm like what a dick but I made these shirts and so I paint up I got these four white shirts and I painted up um it was basically a line with read written in between the lines like read between the lines um so anyways I paint you know these things on these shirts and on the back of them like my sister and her best friend and me and my best friend, we each wore one. So it had R-E-E-D on the, you know, on the back of each shirt so that when we stood together, it read, read. Okay, so here we are. We're 16, coming into our first Supergrass. Um, it was at the Motodrome out at Newcastle. No, it's not the Motodrome, sorry. The Speedway um, out at Newcastle. And so, you know, it was like Grass Hill, you know, um, whatever and so we show up never been not a clue whatever and we're like oh my gosh and so Chad raced and it was just one of the nuttiest races ever because he you know like he went to the lead he crashed he come back to the lead and it was just unbelievable you know what you know I, I mean anyone that remembers their first supercross is like holy shit what are these people doing you know and it was just intense and then obviously Chad had such an epic race at night um and we were all blown away and my dad was just like oh my gosh and he still would talk about it he's just like oh that was unbelievable 
Um, and so right, right away, we're all like, wow, you know, cause it, it is, it's one of those things where it's like, it doesn't matter whether you know the sport or don't know it. Once you see it and you're like, you see how incredibly intense and exciting and, um, you know, the, just the way the whole racing side of it goes, you're, you kind of, you get hooked pretty quick. And so anyways, it was, um, an awesome night. Unfortunately, he ended up, he got docked because apparently he, you know, cut a turn or something and there was this big drama and he ended up, I think he got put back to third or something. He, he'll know. He remembers every single race. But um, at that time they had like pink bunting, I think, you know, so it was like, and I mean, the bunting had probably ripped off and ended up in someone's wheel three races before that. But um anyways it, it didn't matter what what mattered was he had come back from this injury it was an incredibly exciting race it was our first one we made these flipping shirts that you know I actually just recently designed a hat and it says you know like read between the lines and it's kind of like a um I guess it, it's a nostalgic moment for my first supercross when I first made that thing so if you get a chance to get one of those hats, you'll know that the nostalgia behind it. Um, so I can't wait for those to come out. But um, anyways, that was my first Supercross and it was incredibly cool. Um, so um, where do we go from there? Where do we go from first Supercross? I wish he was here because you'd have so much more to talk about. Um as far as expanding on that and maybe be like because I've never actually asked him so did you think that we were like embarrassing when we showed up with those shirts made or were you like oh my gosh that's so cool I've never actually asked him that question so I'm gonna put him on a hot seat and ask him that hopefully it doesn't take him all day to answer like when I do Instagram quick stories and um and quick questions and I'm like tell me what your favorite color is. And he'll sit there and he'll think about it, think about it and think about it. And he's like, um, blue. Meanwhile, I've had at least a thousand thoughts go through my head. Like I'm literally busting at the seams to just say at least 30 things in the time that it takes him to answer one question. I'm like, come on. But that is actually, people were like, is he really always that like thoughtful in what he says and da da da? But he actually really is. And it's funny because you don't think that about him, you know, people, again, back to perceptions of people when you don't really know. But he really actually is such a well thought out person. And he doesn't just um, like if he actually ever loses his shit, it's actually a really big deal. Um, So all those years when he would like, you know, in those battles or whatever, normally he's very calculated and very you know, keeps it together. Whereas I'm like, I'll punch first and then think about it. He's like, think about it, think about it, think about it. Like doesn't, you know, answer. And I've already shot at least 10 people and screamed about it and whatever else, you know, like I'm just, that's who I am. I'm like, ah, straight into it. He's like, let me sit and really digest this and think about it. And so Sometimes when I just want to have like one of those deep and meaningful conversations and I'm like, okay, seriously. And then when he finally like, you know, he really has one and he's got a lot of good things to say that I'm like, gosh, will you just talk to me like that all the time? It seriously does things for me. 
So I just, I guess it's good that we're polar opposites because, you know, we balance each other out very well. He's always like, he never knows what I'm going to do, actually. Um, which is a good thing. I keep him on his toes. He never knows if I'm actually going to, you know, I just thought about what I was going to say. I'll probably just won't say. <laughs> <sighs> he never knows what I'm going to do. Put it that way. It could be sexual or it could be a punch in the nuts. You never know. And that's just basically where I am. Sorry, babe. You're going to have to hear that somewhere. But it is true. I keep him on his toes. And I say and I do all the things that you're like, yep, she went there. And that's basically how this podcast is going to roll. So when I finally get some people in here, I'm going to be like, it'll be like super not serious and then serious and then not serious. So bear with me. Um, okay. What else am I going to talk about here? Because I really didn't plan it out. This was just a demo day, by the way. So if we end up releasing this, just know it was practice day because I hadn't practiced. And if I actually let it all out and it becomes first podcast day, then so be it. But just know this was the practice run because I don't even have a video here, which I think it might be better if I did have the video here just so I could see what it looked like when I'm doing all these weird faces and talking at the same time. So like the urge to sing in this microphone right now and I feel like a recording artist actually that reminds me I just watched um Taylor Swift come out with a new thing and I'm not necessarily like oh I'm this big Taylor Swift fan like I think she's great you know whatever but I'm like it's not like I'm oh my god I just die for it but um I do like watching people's um videos I'm very much intrigued by the behind the scenes of people's lives because um I there's there's such a there's so much that happens behind the scenes and that's what we'll get into you know deeper into this podcast and you have to stick around to get all the good stuff but um the behind the scenes is so not what's present you know or that you know of so it's like it's really really important and I really want to help people have a bigger understanding of what's happening out in, you know, say Taylor Swift, for example. Okay, so what's happening on her big shows and everything else compared to what's happening in real life is complete polar opposites. She's up there performing. And at one part of the movie, she was like, I thought I was supposed to feel like I was going to pass out, you know, at the end of the show because she wasn't eating, you know, and people were criticizing her weight and this and that and whatever. And she vowed that, you know, she didn't have an eating disorder or whatever else. But then the pressure to stay thin and the amount of people commenting on how she looked in every single outfit and this and that and the fine line between she's too fat. Oh, she's too thin. Oh, she's, you know, like a butt looks like this. Oh, her legs. Oh, she's got cellulite. Oh, and her hair is this. There is like there's always someone commenting. And it is really, really difficult when you live in a fishbowl. And we've always described, um, you know, race life as living in a fishbowl with a thousand judge judges sitting around just judging every single thing you do. Like it's impossible to be perfect and 
So therefore, there's always going to be someone placing judgment. There's always going to be someone throwing a comment. And it's hard for those comments not to sting. Like at the end of the day, there's always going to be a comment that stings. And so you can, you know, it's like that um, kids movie where they say, don't read the comments, don't go to the comments section. And it's so true. But yet we all go to the comments section and we're all guilty of it. And so in her movie, you know, she she reveals all those things like, you know, just the behind the scenes of how hard, you know, it is to keep living up to those expectations and those comments. And, you know, you're you're bouncing yourself between being who you want to be and the person that started out to what everybody expects you to be, what everybody wants you to be you know, what you think you should be. And that is a fucking very, it's like literally walking a tightrope. Um, you're, you're going to fall off at any point. Because for one, you're, you're living to please everybody else. You've, you somewhat, you lose the, the reason that you started off in the first place, which for her, again, using her as an example, you know, she's this, sweet, good girl, you know, she just wanted everybody to love her. And, you know, eventually in celebrity world, that all goes sideways. And it doesn't matter how good you try to be and you try to keep up and you try to do the right thing. Eventually, something turns on you, someone's going to turn on you, even when you're so good, they're going to hate you because you are so good. Like it doesn't, you're damned if you do damned if you don't, that's just the way it goes. And so she lived basically for the everyone's approval like the the applause at the end of the thing was you know that was her reason for being at the time because that's you know that's how she was primed and groomed as a young star and um that becomes a very empty way of being you know um so it's it's really nice to watch in these movies, you know, uh, uh, somebody and then now she's in her 30s and she's had to, you know, go in and observe and hit all those obstacles, potholes, you know, everything on the way to try and figure out. And now I'm hoping, again, you don't know, you don't know what somebody's life is like behind the closed doors, but hopefully she's in a space where she is back to the toilet, well, Maybe she doesn't want to be back to that full Taylor Swift that lives for everybody's approval. But at the same time, I hope for her and my hope for everybody is they find their way back to the reason that they started doing that thing in the first place. Why did she start singing? She loved to write songs and she loved to sing. So my hope at the end of that movie and after watching it, you know, that for her in her life that she's found that. And I know for me and my life, how I've, I've got to witness not only my own self, but Chad's life, um, as a, you know, a celebrity in his own right of this sport, you know, and, um, I'm very interested and I'm very, um, intrigued and I have a lot of desire to want to help somebody in that situation because for one I went through it for one I witnessed it and now you know all these people coming out I you know I use Elton John as another another reference where I watched his movie and it's like 
you see the Elton John today and it's like, you know, you just think of somebody who's so successful and has, you know, they have it all, but you don't see what he went through as a child and seeking his father's approval for one, seeking, you know, his mother was not nice, you know, and it was just the the house that he got brought up in. Thank goodness for his grandmother who helped support his dream of his music. But um, to see him evolve, to be able to be himself and his flamboyant self, and it was, you know, amazing to then see where it all goes south. And he is an artist um, who then struggles with, you know, um, drugs and addiction and then a very, very lonely person. And I can understand that. I have actually lived in a, I've never done drugs. Um, so I'll just put that out there now. But I have lived in an existence where all of a sudden, the world is spinning so quickly that you're just almost you become a passenger. And then it is a very lonely situation you know like Elton John tried to kill himself by overdosing at a party at his house and he was fucking miserable and he floats to the bottom of the pool at a party um in front of everybody and it's like it's a massive scream for attention and it kind of brings me back to our are you okay day um and the thing that got me to first start talking into my Instagram. The first thing that inspired me to want to do a podcast is, you know, people are battling these things and you wouldn't see it on the surface. And so back then, nobody really talked about it. And, you know, nowadays people are starting to talk about it and they're putting out these, you know, these shows about the behind the scenes and whatever else. And it does give people a bigger perspective of how hard certain things are in their lives, you know, and how I I guess, you know, I want to be able to show that to um, different obstacles that we've come across in our lives and ha- things that we've had to fight for and, um, you know, our downfalls and where we went wrong and and all those kinds of things and if that helps um you know some other people whether it be in our sport whether you're not in our sport at all that's fine you know I I very much value the position that I'm in where you know there's probably more people listening than I realize and I think I'm talking to five people you know in a room um and I very much value the fact that this could go to a million different ears and probably not kids ears for right now we'll do something for them later but if there's something in here that will help you with your kids then that's good because I don't want to have to have a filter in here and um a lot of the things that you know we may or may not discuss are probably not um you know ready for kids at this point so it is a responsibility to um share appropriately appropriately um you know when kids are ready to hear that you know what I'm saying so um anyways I guess getting back to it like fish in a fishbowl you've got a million judges around you um and that's I guess 
life in any celebrity form. Um, again, I'll pick another one, Justin Bieber. It's kind of like everybody loved him. And then he came to a point where he's trying to figure himself out and he made some mistakes and he did the wrong thing. Again, I don't have to be their biggest fan to want to appreciate the fact that they're working on themselves, that they hit that low point and everyone wants to dive in there and they want to literally kick them while they're down. And I would like to be the one that goes, okay, let's look at this and go, why is he like that? You know, like why didn't Britney Spears have somebody there to just give her a fucking hug? In 2007, it was one of the worst years of my life. And I honestly could understand shaving my head and wanting to stab somebody with an umbrella if somebody was in my face because you're literally feel like you're in a pressure cooker and you're a fish in a fishbowl at the same time, which is not a good combination. Let's just say that. So if you listening now can put yourself in a position and we can create some understanding just real quick where it's like, imagine yourself and every single thing that you do is judged by everybody around you, people that don't know you, people on the media, people sitting in their mother's basement, people who just want to hate you because you're pretty or people who just want to hate you because you have money or people just want to hate you just because you're out there trying to do something for yourself and you fucked up and now they're just going to jump on you because they're like, ha. So every single thing that you've ever done, imagine that you're being attacked at every, you know, corner you turn around. And it's not a nice place to be, put it that way. So from here on out, if you can take a little takeaway from this, just go, okay, if I am judging these people, imagine that I turn it around on myself and they were judging me for every single thing I do today. And it could be that you're, you know, you're yelling at your kids or you sucked at your job today and you didn't do your best job or, you know, you may be a garbage man, but imagine that you've knocked over three trash cans today and everybody is literally dogging you all over the media because you've done that. And you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Da, 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 da. Whatever it is. That's a simple, simple example. But imagine somebody doing that to you every single day. So take a step back, take your little judgy judgies off, make it a judgment free zone and go, okay, you know what? We've all fucked up in our day. How are we going to fix it? And let's focus on that. Let's put our energy in that. And if you see somebody that's literally struggling or they're making stupid choices or they're running themselves into the ground or they're borderline, well, maybe they are alcoholics. Instead of watching somebody in their turmoil and just being an observer, you know, like one of those sick people who want to watch train wrecks, let's reach out a hand and go, hey, do you need help? And maybe they reject it and that's okay. But instead of throwing fuel on the fire, let's be someone that steps back and says, hey, do you want me to throw water on your fire? Do you want me to gather some sand and literally let's put out the flames? Like let's not add to them. Because I feel like in, you know, a celebrity situation, in a athlete situation, in a 
anyone who's popular situation, people enjoy watching you struggle. And that's a really sick thing to actually have to, you know, comprehend. But people do. Because they think that you have it all because they think that, you know, oh, thank God they're having something terrible going happen in their life. Okay. And it's, it's not nice because at the end of the day, the people who are out there actually doing big fucking things in their life, they are struggling. They are struggling all the time. They're struggling with how do I keep going? How do I start? How do I be better? How can I make this or that or how do I start this project? And they're, they're pushing themselves. They're pushing themselves beyond what you're pushing yourself. Anyone that's got time to sit around and judge somebody else, you need to find something that you're passionate about and go struggle at it for a little bit. And then you gain understanding like, fuck, that's actually really hard. It's really hard to put yourself out there. It's really hard to go and try something new. It's really hard to go and compete at the ultimate level in front of a bunch of fans. I'll give another example. You know, like Chab when he came into 2018 and he was broken and he was a freaking mess. Like he hadn't rode at all. And like I just felt so bad for him because he literally could barely walk. He hadn't rode. He hadn't rode the bike. It was a brand new bike. We put it together like a couple of days a week before the main event, before the main, um, the start of the series. And there was no lead time. There was no hey, you're coming in prepared and you should feel amazing. Like I know how much I was sweating just coming to sit in this seat to start this podcast. Let alone, I can't even imagine how much he was sweating. Like it gives me even more compassion for that moment because he had to soak it up and go, okay, well shit, I don't even know if I can go 20 laps. But he did. He went out there and he struggled the whole time. He had to deal with people just dogging on him for his shitty performance. And, you know, he just lets it go, you know. And for me, I literally want to tear shreds off people because I'm like, I wish you fucking had a clue, like, how hard that was. You know, like, it literally almost brings me to tears because I get so, like, aggressive about it. But it's like, I can't change all these people. The only thing I have control over is what we do. And so we're going to continue to just push forward on every single thing that we've ever done. We just keep moving forward, keep moving forward, onwards and upwards. And that's kind of how we've always been. Um, And that's kind of where we're at today. So, um, you know, he got hurt in Paris. Um, We were, we thought we had a, um, or we're going to have a a ride with the JGR team. And, um, they they had, you know, issues of their own trying to get support from Suzuki and the things that they needed. And so um, they were at a bit of a standstill and we were not in a position that we could be at a standstill because we'd already committed to these off-season races. So it was just one of those things. There was never any major fallout or anything like that. It was just they were in a position of we can't pull the trigger yet and we're like, well, shit, we've got to pull the trigger. So we ended up having to go our separate ways there, um, which put us in a bit of a spin because then we're like, well, you know, we 
we really wanted to be there, but okay, we're here. And and again, it's one of those things where it's like you shit or get off the pot. Like we had to make something happen, so we did. So um, we got in with Mountain Motorsports and CBD came on board and we're like, okay, let's just make it happen. Let's just do what we need to do to get to Monster Cup. We'll use that as a building block and we'll go from there. So again, at Monster Cup, Cup it wasn't like he was prepared at all. It was let's get a bike together. Let's just go ride. Let's, it's literally a training session. And again, that is really extremely difficult to show up when these, especially young guys come out, guns blazing, everyone's ready to go. They've all got their teams. They've been on their bikes. They're comfortable. Everything's set up beautifully for them. And it's like, shit, we're a shit show in a box van, but we're here. We're here. And that's what matters. So the plan was after that, let's get ourselves to um, Paris Supercross. That was our next um, significant commitment. So we did that. And again, the logistics just involved in doing overseas races and um, getting bikes and parts and stuff sent, shipped. Um, that is not an easy task. I mean, we had to fly with tires. I mean, we were all stuffed in a in a taxi or Uber going to the airport, um, you know, from the airport to the hotel and we're like jammed in there with bike parts and pieces that we had to take with us. Like you do what you need to do. And so we handled that. Um, again, he was just starting to, you know, get into it at, um, at the Paris supercross race there. And he ended up just one of those racing incidents. He came together with, um, Mookie and Freezy and he was just on the um the bad side of it and he crashed and broke his ribs and it was kind of like a creepy situation because it was kind of like one of those things like when his Seattle crash where he kind of got collected between the two bikes and it was just he was just a passenger and he fell um so to say the least it sucked okay you're you're finally just getting back to where you need to be to getting going and it's it's like you want to be at the okay you, you you've acknowledged that you're at the bottom of the mountain okay and you're like you know to get to the peak you just have to keep stepping keep stepping keep stepping that's just the way it is and so here he is he's just like oh my gosh I'm, I'm broken again like you know and you just want to be like why and it's so frustrating because once that happens I mean, there's nothing you can do. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. It's like, it doesn't matter. You've got to deal with what is in front of you, which is now broken ribs, skin off. He's obviously bummed. It's like, okay, we're, we are back at the start of the mountain again. And you accept that. You know, he tried to ride in New Zealand because he lives up to his commitments. And he, I mean, let's be honest. That's just who he is. He always has been. It's like, um, you know, so he tried to ride and race there and he ended up, you know, without that, you know, core strength. Um, it was super slippery and he just slid out and, you know, he's nursing those ribs. And um, again, you're riding a motorcycle. There's no time for nursing anything, if we're honest. You know, uh, you have to be ready to go. This is not a joke. And so... Anyways, he slid out. He, you know, kind of obviously hurt himself again. And it was just like, okay, you can't race the night. So unfortunately, he sat out for New Zealand. 
And then um, he had basically two weeks to rest up and and try to be ready for Melbourne Supercross. And at that point, we already knew like he was going to make a big announcement um, that, you know, 2020 was going going to be his final Supercross year. And so the pressure was on. Okay, he's not going to want to show up at Melbourne and be this wounded duck you know like he wanted to go out guns blazing and like feeling good and you know when you get on your dirt bike it's your space where you're just like you know it's like it's a good feeling and it should be a good feeling and it should be like you feel powerful and strong and you know you're happy doing it and he had none of those things he couldn't practice you know he was supposed to be in Australia like basically in boot camp and prepping for 2020 and it just kind of everything was falling apart the plan that you have in your head and then what's actually happened in reality and none of it's meeting up and it is so frustrating there could be nothing more frustrating so he you know was just he was quiet in Australia and it's kind of like you know he goes back into himself and he's just you know that's how Chad processes he gets quiet you know whereas I'm like tend to get louder maybe but he shows up for Melbourne and you know it's a big weekend and I ended up I came down there without the kids just so that I could you know help him be fully present in the time take it all in um, and that doesn't always happen when you've got kids there because at the at the end of the day our kids are kids they're you know they don't necessarily it's not that they don't care that it's a massive weekend it's just another dirt bike race they're kids you know like and so we left them at home with my parents and we just went down to absorb the weekend together and kind of enjoy it and enjoy all the people that we'd grown up racing and stuff like that so um he ends up he is doing like this kind of make a wish um moment with this little boy who um had you know an illness that um basically he wasn't able to ride again um because of it and so he um you know was in the moment of you know making this kid's wish come true and you know all that kind of stuff and the the little boy was going to take a lap around the supercross track and um you know it was just a really sweet beautiful moment for that kid and um so you know he's taking pictures doing the whole thing you know whatever else but at the same time I could see I could see in his eyes you know like he's processing all that's about to take place right after you know this kid's make a wish moment and you could see it building up for him and so we go to like you know it's like okay they're ready for you and they call and you got video cameras everywhere you've got this little boy you're trying to be like uptoning in the moment because this is his big moment his family's there beautiful family all these things and he, you know he grabs my hand and we walk in this other room and he just starts crying like literally tears bawling out of his eyes and I'm like oh babe and he says He's just like, oh, you know, and he just has his cry in his moment. I'm like, are you right? Are you right? And he's like, yeah, it's just, oh, you know, it just got me, you know, and I was like, it's okay, you know, let it get you. It's all part of it. Taking the moment, it's, you know, like I'm a crier, like I will cry at, 
I cry in the, you know, in those moments in the movies where it's just like a feel good movie, Disney movies, any movie where it's just that like moment in the movie where it's like, oh, I'm like, literally it chokes me up every time. I'm just like, I just get that involved and passionate no matter what I'm doing or watching. So he's crying. I'm like, ooh, trying to hold it together. And then I'm like, okay, well, let's get out here. Let's get this thing going. And so we walk out, you know, like holding hands. And so, um, you know, he did the make a wish thing and then he went and had to do his speech and stuff. And they put on this really nice, um, video thing. And, um, which if I haven't put that on, um, I need to make a note to actually, um, put that on and, uh, post it because it was a really nice little video that they did for that. But, you know, he made a really nice speech and it was, you know, it was a nice moment. And anyways, he, he was able to ride, you know, better. It still felt like he was breathing through a straw and he, you know, he couldn't go for the win or anything like that, but he got a whole shot and he rode well. And, you know, he moved over and let, you know, Brayton and, um, Brayton and, um, uh, Jason Anderson do their thing and you know whatever else because he just he just wasn't in a space where he could battle and um anyways it ended up being a great weekend you know all the same well come back and obviously we got everything ready to go and we're set for a great 2020 weekend um you know oh my gosh I just had deja vu I'm not even kidding you which is actually pretty cool but uh so we're set for this great 2020 one last ride tour and everything like that. But the reality becomes very evident when you are injured, when you haven't had the time to prepare properly and you're still nursing an injury like ribs where it's like, unfortunately, you know, it hurts to sneeze. It sucks. Um, you feel like you're breathing through a straw. I thank goodness I've never actually broken a bone knock on wood um but you know that becomes very apparent then you take on the actual fact that okay there's a lot of emotions flowing like I know how I felt come a1 let alone how he must have felt and so you add that little fish in the fishbowl and it's like all eyes are on you not only eyes are on you but his own expectations of himself are always through the roof even though he knows what's reality you know he still wants to surpass that and be able to ride over the reality of you know he he wasn't trained and he wasn't healed you know and it did not translate well and so we instead of you know going out there and you know like you want to be battling inside the top 10 that was kind of somewhat realistic it's like we're struggling for qualifying and we're in LCQs and we're like, hang on a minute, this really sucks. And so um, even to the point where Tate was like, good luck, I hope you qualify, you know, before Chad would leave for the race. And Chad's like, oh, fuck, that sucks. You know, because you that's not a place where you want to be. You just don't. I don't care at what point or part of racing or that it's a one last tour. He's like, that is not where I want to be. So anyways, you know, he, he knew, he knew himself. We obviously didn't publicize to the whole world that, you know, he's still nursing this injury, you know, like, cause you don't want to keep talking about it. It just feels like 
for the last three years, it's like you show up, you're unprepared, you're back at the last minute. You know, it's like, oh, the same fucking story. Like we're sick of telling it. It's the same thing over and over and over. But anybody that knows the reality of any sports related thing, like you cannot show up unprepared and expect that you're going to just go out there and win. You can't unless you, I mean, it's just not possible. There's no way that any sports person at the elite level are going to come in wounded and untrained and expect to do that. I mean, Chad expects that, but the reality is it's not going to happen. So we didn't really want to carry on about it because it's like we wanted the focus to be on let's celebrate what he's done and everything else. So people are like, what's wrong with Chad and this and that? And, you know, you're again, you just don't want to keep going over the same sad story. But it's the same thing. It's that's just where we're at, you know. So anyways, uh, a couple of weekends ago, he got hurt. Again, it's the if you're not prepared and you're not in your best space, especially on a motorcycle track, you're going to end up in the wrong space at the wrong time. And so he's coming from the outside because of bad qualification, bad, poor gate picks. And, you know, and then just riding really timid. So it's like you're not really going after it. You're just kind of trying to slot yourself in there and survive. And this is war. I mean, you can't go to war you know, there's a reason why the wounded soldiers come home. I mean, you don't you you don't want to put yourself in that space to be a wounded bird, you know, like you're a sitting duck. And so he ended up he got hit, you know, people getting impatient on the inside and then it just was a domino effect chain reaction and he ends up hit. Well, the old guy cannot afford to hit the concrete at any point in the rest of this career let me tell you and he did and so re-injured the same spot and it's like here we go again okay people we're back at the bottom of the mountain and at the same you're just like fuck are you kidding me like there's nothing more frustrating like I literally was like oh my gosh like lucky I wasn't there because I replayed that thing and I was like oh my gosh I want to punch you and you and you all of you like literally dick punch right there like that's how fired up I was obviously it's not realistic to go and do that to all those people nor is it a good idea so we'll just take that off the table but that doesn't mean I didn't feel it because at the same time I was like fuck you just rolled us back to the bottom of the mountain and I don't want to be at the bottom of the mountain we're trying to get to the top of the mountain and we just Got a new supercross track getting built so that he doesn't have to drive three hours to go freaking train. And it's like, oh, you know, like he was just about to start back at the gym because he was finally getting to that point where it's like he could expand his rib cage again, you know, where it's like he could breathe better. Anyways, back to the bottom of the mountain. And we're like, hmm, okay. At that point, you're just kind of like, do I want to keep going? Could I just go, let's just sell everything and move to a deserted island and not have to deal with this anymore. Like, let's just go do that. Live off coconuts. Let's just do that. It's a great idea. We're going. Sell everything. I mean, seriously, there's points in your life where you're just like, nah, get me out of here. I'm over it. But at the end of the day, that's not 
realistic and we all have to take a step back and we have to go, okay, here we are again. We're at the bottom of the mountain and this is going to happen to you in your life. You're going to keep getting rolled down that fucking mountain and you're going to be laying on the bottom and you've got to choose whether to get up or to just keep laying there. Okay. And eventually, if you just keep laying there, those fucking turkey vultures. Oh my God, we used to have so many of them despicable things in Florida. Okay, but basically those vultures that just come and eat the dead animals on the side of the road that don't even actually kill their own prey or just eat vegetables or plants or whatever. They're literally waiting for something to die and then they come and feed off it. Okay, that will be you at the bottom of the mountain. Someone will come and feed off your body laying right there. So do yourself a favor, stand the fuck up, get up. I don't care what just happened to you yet again. My kids fall over all the time, all the freaking time. Okay. It doesn't matter if it's on their bike, on their thing. And I don't run over to them and I don't yell out, oh my gosh, are you okay? I don't. I wait for them to react they're going to react it's a cry it's a ah, it's a whatever they're going to react that's normal but I sit there quietly and I wait and okay if they're bleeding I'll grab a thing and I'll put it over there quietly and don't make it any more dramatic and than it needs to be and we sort it out or they lay there for a minute I realize nobody's bleeding whatever yeah okay it's gonna hurt but I yell out and say get up get up and throughout their tears and whatever else, I do not offer anything else other than that. Unless, of course, they are literally in a significant way where it's like truly traumatic. Okay, yes, then go and help at a calm situation, walk over there and address it. But if they're over there and they've just fallen off and obviously they're hurt or they're pissed off or they're whatever and I say, get up. They get back on and they continue doing whatever they're doing. And now they know that if they're on the soccer field and they get their shins, whatever, you know, kicked, punched. I mean, not punched. They're not going to get their shins punched. I'm just aggressive. But, you know, like when those cleats get into the side of your ankles, okay, it does actually hurt. Let's acknowledge that. But I'm like, get up, you know, like you're not going to lie there and die on the floor. No one cares about you lying and dying on the floor. Get that through your heads. Okay? It's just drama. Get up. So, here we are again in the season. And we're at the bottom of the mountain. And all we wanted was this freaking beautiful one last ride tour. And it's like everything's going smoothly. And oh my gosh, we're successful. And all this, you know, great stuff happening. And... We're on the bottom of the mountain. Okay. Get up. And that's all you can do. So you know what we did? We got up. And he, he um, actually, he flew on a red eye to Daytona because he'd already committed to that. And he went and, you know, watched that. And he was like, okay. And then he came home. And then the next morning we got up and we went to the gym because that was the original plan. The original plan was to get up and start back at the gym that week and start getting all those training components coming back in, you know, the cycling, the gym workouts, you know, the riding, it was all supposed to start back in there. And it's like, it feels like it got all swept out from under your feet and you're like, okay, no, 
so we showed up and we said, okay, let's figure out what he can do. We know what he can't do. Let's figure out what he can do so that we're not just sitting here doing nothing. Because we're not about to just let days go by where we sit here and we feel sad for ourselves because nobody cares. Okay, that's just the blunt reality. So if you want something out of the rest of this season, Chad, or the rest of your life, people or, you know, whatever, then get up and start doing something. And so that's what we did. So we went to um, the chiropractor to make sure that we could adjust what needed to be adjusted, um, check, you know, he got a, um, x-ray so we could, you know, just see what we were dealing with. Okay. Broken. Fine. So then we have spent last week just working on, um, all the recovery things that we could possibly do, you know, so just full blown recovery mode. And those were the things that we could control. Um, again, you know, he's, eating, his diet, um, all those things. Again, at a certain point, you're on the bottom of the mountain. You're just like, fuck it. I'm going to go drink myself silly. I'm just going to go eat whatever the hell I want. Who gives a shit? And you just kind of want to let it all go. You're like, what the fuck does it even matter anymore? But it matters. Okay. It matters because at the end of that little who cares moment, however long you let that last for, eventually you're going to be the only one left there to pick it up. So you figure that out, how long you want to have your pity party, how long you want to let yourself go and whatever else. If you want to eat six buckets of ice cream for the next six weeks, you're the one who's going to be fat, feeling like shit, depressed, deciding what to do with your life. What am I going to do? And there won't be anyone left there to help you. Okay. So again, pick yourself up, do all the things that you can control. So he can control his eating. He can control his rest periods, which are all very significant in the healing process. He knows which vitamins he needs to take. Um, he gets on his CBD, MD, um, the lotion and it becomes a discipline to put that on, you know, Every night, every morning, in the middle of the day, as much as you can, especially when you're healing an injury. So it's like, be diligent on doing those things. Taking his droppers. Um, he doesn't take pain meds because it slows down recovery. And it also just has a negative effect on the body. I mean, there's a time and a place that you need pain medication. Okay. But if you can find an alternative, and for us... For us, again, I'm not telling you what to do with yourself. I'm just giving you what we do for us. He uses the CBDMD, um, the oils, the droppers at the strongest thing. And again, um, we use THC free because he's an athlete, because we don't like the psychoactive um, effects of the THC. But again, the CBD um, and using it, it is a discipline because you need to consistently use it to get the best um, out of it. Okay, that is a that is an actual fact. Um, so we choose to do that um, very consistently to manage his pain, um, and then also, you know, starting back at the gym and doing the things that he can do that aren't actually jeopardizing what he's got going on with his ribs. Um, breathing is a problem. 
And that is not a good problem to have when you're racing a motorcycle with the best guys in the world and your heart rate's through the roof purely based on adrenaline. Your heart rate goes through the roof. Like Supercross is intense and crazy and, um, you know, there's there's really nothing else like it. So um, all those things he can control and so that's what we're choosing to do. So that's us taking steps up the mountain. So if you can adapt that into your life where it's like, okay, this has happened and here is where I'm at, but you can choose to step up the mountain again to wherever you need to go. Again, you know, on a bigger scale, I mean, people are dealing with cancers coming back. People are dealing with, you know, life-changing massive issues in their lives where they feel like they're getting these massive setbacks. And for these people, it is the most important thing to decide first to climb back up the mountain because the strength of your head and your mind of choosing to fight, to choosing to get up, to choosing to take one step after the other to climb back up the mountain, that is your first step. That's your ammunition to fight against whatever you got going on in your life. So for all those people who are already doing that, I applaud you because it is so hard, but at the same time, it's your biggest reward. You are your own cheerleader, champion, because at the end of the day, it's you. It's all you. There will be a million people telling you, you know, what you should and shouldn't do. But there's very few people who are actually cheering you on, you know, until you get in a certain space where it's like, okay, We've built an enormous fan base over the years and earned that. Um, so there are actually, I, we are incredibly lucky where there are a lot of people who truly, really get it. And they see the big picture and they see that we've always come back no matter what. And we've always shown up and we've always climbed up that mountain and in doing so inspired them to climb their own mountains. And I, I love hearing from those people because in turn, I'm kind of like, well, shit, I didn't realize that that, you know, that affected you, you know, like I didn't realize that my story that day that seemed, you know, just another story that directly impacted, you know, someone else's life. It's kind of like, um, when you throw a, when you throw a stone in the middle of a pond and then the ripple effect that goes out, like you don't actually realize how big the ripples go and how far they go. You kind of just throw the rock and then you're just like, oh, okay, cool. But you don't, you really don't process the ripple effect. And then somebody comes back and they say, oh my gosh, you changed my life because I started this company or I had the courage to, you know, get off pain medication and do this. And I got well again from taking the CBDMD or, you know, our child, you know, we named him after you. And, you know, like this lady told me the other day, I mean, she, her baby is born with a um, heart murmur and they finally, um, they named him Reed and she um, said that they, you know, they were in a line to, you know, basically get the surgery and they found out on the 22nd that he was admitted and, um, you know, ready to take on that surgery. So they were really excited and 
I said it was meant to be, you know, like on that 22nd. But either way, just giving people hope. Um, but then for people to take it on and actually use it in their own life to get themselves off that floor so the turkey vultures don't eat you. That's what we want. That's what I'm passionate about. I have I'm going to go out of here and be like, I didn't even know actually what I talked about, but it was a lot of good stuff. That's what I'm going to tell Chad when I get out of here. I'm just going to be like, yeah, it was great. I have absolutely no clue. Like, I've literally gone blank. I'm like, you know, it's dead air out there. Nobody's obviously in here talking to me. I'm going to like channel my inner Vince Vaughn and be just like, come out of here. I'm going to be like, I feel like Celine Dion out there. What I said in that movie for Christmas is so good, by the way. Anyways, um, I hope that somewhere along the line something good came out of there. I'm going to find a way to wrap this up for today because um, I need to come back in here with a fresh set of... Actually, I need a big drink, actually. I've just been rambling on here for hours. I've actually got my arm on fire in here and... Um, it's a real good source for chattery. Um, I don't want you to have to listen to me drink, so we'll just cut that part out. If I was on video, you'd be able to just see it and then it wouldn't be as weird. But I think when it goes quiet, it's like, that's odd. What's she doing back there? <sighs> so I feel like I've just had a great session, great therapy session. Again, I don't see a therapist. Um, I literally talk to Chad. That is what we do. We just keep talking. So I hope this discussion prompts you to go and talk about it with someone. Talk about it with the whoever. Just keep talking. So even if it's with yourself, if you're going through something and you need to talk about it, find somebody you trust for one and just get it off your chest. And it doesn't matter if it comes out in a mess. I mean, look at this podcast. I didn't research. I mean, I didn't mean I didn't re like I didn't jot down everything I was going to say in this chronological order and have it all neat and nice. It's like that's not how it works. That's why I couldn't write a book because I was like, shit, I'm going to have to have this really articulated and organized. And that's not how I operate. It's just all out at once, a bit over here, a bit over here, a bit over here. And so you may have whiplash at the end of this. I apologize. Get some CBD into you. Um, because of just jumping around from all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, I hope you've got something out of it. I've had a really good time and I am going to just keep talking. I'm going to get back in here recording soon and just keep pumping them out. And as we go, I hope that I will get better because that was just my podcast virginity being popped. I'm glad you were there for it. Oh my gosh, by the way, talking about virginity... Gosh, here we go. Here's another story. She just can't stop. All right. It is a little awkward, but I did tell Ricky and Chad at the same time, which makes it even better of a story. So, um, okay. So you guys know that Oakley poster. Chad's going to be like, oh, fuck. She's not going to say it, is she? He's got like, you know, when you get on American Idol watching it and there's people who sing horrendously and you're like, my sister, she kind of like hides because she's so embarrassed for these people. That's Chad right now. Picture him 
And he's just like, oh, God, she's going to say it. Anyways, which makes the story even better because you've just got to get the good stories out. Okay, so you know that um, Ricky Carmichael poster and it's an Oakley poster. It's black and white. It's that long, big poster. If you don't know it, get with it. Otherwise, Ricky, you know you've got it. Just post it so that um, I can repost it and then my people will know what I'm talking about. So Chad had one of those above his bed. It's already ironic, okay? The person who literally, like, seriously made us fight like crazy, honestly, lost our fucking minds over Ricky Carmichael and our battles. Okay, so Chad had a poster above his bed when I first met him. And that was like, you know, when you first go into your boyfriend's bedroom. Righto. Anyways, and so this poster is above the thing. I didn't know who Ricky Carmichael was at that time. I was 16. I'd never even seen a freaking race before, nor did I care. Ricky, I don't care. So, anyways, um, I'm sitting here. <laughs> I may have red cheeks, but not really because I'm not embarrassed telling kinds of stories. So, anyways, that was above Chad's bed and I lost my virginity on that bed not the first time I was in there by the way gosh I have some standards and made him wait quite a while actually make them wait and um yeah so I lost my virginity on a bed with a Ricky Carmichael poster above it then come to imagine that he is the fucking rock in in my side the thorn in my side it was like Fucking Ricky Carmichael, seriously, over the years and being like our like freaking biggest rival. Irony or what? I don't think so. I think it was fate over our heads, looming over our relationship. And you know what? We fucking survived. Maybe just, but we did. Ricky, how funny is that story? By the way, just picture it. I was all dressed up and I managed to tell him and Chad that story at the same time in front of um, Ricky's beautiful girlfriend who I absolutely love. Um, Anyways, yeah, that was, it's always a good story to tell to everybody. So brilliant. Um, Not to mention another good story, by the way, of good dads. This is a good dad story. So once I, um, okay, so, you know, I don't lie to my mom. And so I was like, mom's like, oh, so, you know, like trying to talk to your teenage daughter, which you always should. I'm a big advocate of communicating. So she's like, oh, so you're having sex yet? And I was like, well, maybe. And she's like, oh, Ellie. And I was like, she's like, well, why didn't you tell me? And I was like, well, I didn't want to run home straight after I did it and be like, you know, mom, this is what happened. It wasn't like I wasn't like still terrified of my mom, but we still, I didn't lie to her. And so anyway, she's like, Ellie, well, you know, gave me the whole protection talk, you know, whatever. And she's like, well, that's it. You get up to the doctor and get on birth control. So I was like, okay, thanks, mom. Anyway, she didn't take me. Who took me? Dad. Thanks, Dad. Okay, so we pull up in front of the doctor's thing to go and get your prescription for your daughter to get a birth control who's having sex at 16. And 
it's okay. He's my one and only. I can say it. So that's fine. But at the same time, my dad goes, well, Ellie, and he always had these real good talks with me. Okay. Ellie, you know that men think differently about sex, don't you? And I was like, what? He goes, well, sometimes it's just another notch on the belt. And I was like, dad, we're very much in love. What? And But either way, I tucked it away and, you know, I was like, Chad Reed, don't you fuck with me, son, or I will take you down. And I'm not, I'm not afraid of a dick punch, that's for sure. I don't know if you're actually allowed to say dick punch on Apple Podcasts. So if there's a lot of like beeps during this podcast, just know that she's very passionate about what she talks about, very aggressive in real life. And when you double those things up, it's going to create some uncomfortable word matches and things that you probably shouldn't do, but she's going to do them. She is. And as I get warmed up, you'll probably hear all kinds of weird stories. Like when, um, okay, I wasn't a cigarette smoker, but another good advice from my dad. He says, if you ever want to smoke cigarettes, you let me know. And I was like, oh, why? And you know, when you're young, you're just like, what? I'm not going to smoke cigarettes. And then, you know, you're like, maybe I will, but I never did, by the way. But he's like, well, if you ever want to smoke cigarettes, he's like, I'll buy a box of cigarettes and we'll sit on on the back porch and we'll smoke the whole pack. And then if you still want to do it after that, go right ahead. Okay, my dad is not a smoker, so he would be the first one to puke. And I was like, that sounds like the worst fucking thing ever. I'll stay. I'm good. I never want to smoke a pack of cigarettes or a cigarette in my life. And so I just didn't. So if you ever need that good source of parenting, use uh, Doula Brady Methods. Actually, that's his nickname, Doula. His real name's Peter. Peter Brady. Yes, it is. Actually, I'm from the Brady family. And this one time at a day spa, my... <laughs> I can't even say it with a straight face because if you could have seen my mum's face. Okay, so she goes, um, Mrs. Brady, we're ready for you. Carol, is it? Oh, my God. My mum goes, oh, please. Carol Brady, can you imagine? She literally, I mean, my mum has a special talent. Like, she can look at you and shoot you down dead. She is a freaking, that's why they nicknamed her Pistol, actually. Um, she has a lot of nicknames, Nanny PJ, Mama P. Pistol, PJ, we just call her whatever we want. Um, she's good like that. She's a bloody good mum though, that's for sure. Um, let me just also share this one little tad, um, tidbit of information. Okay, so once... <laughs> Sorry mum, we won't have child services take you away. Okay, so one time, because obviously I am a super aggressive psycho child and... We would battle it out and I would like yell. And because I was just always thought I was right. And it's it's very, um, it's hard to actually say these things out loud and be in here and actually they're like be really accountable for yourself and have to listen to this playback and be like, fuck, I was a little bitch. Um, sorry, mom. But anyways, I was yelling at me mom for something which, you know, if you're a teenage girl, you probably have done it once or twice or maybe not, but I did. And I just keep going and going and going and going like a pit bull. And she pushed me through 
I had these big massive mirrors in my room and she pushed me and I smashed back into the mirror and it cracked totally which seven years bad luck in my teenage awkward years Paula that is not acceptable um anyways so the mirror was smashed well whatever we moved on and you know we got over that fight again we never had you know we never stayed mad at each other because we just had it out and moved on so anyways um me being the artist that I was and I love to paint so I painted over the um the big cracks in the mirror and painted like butterflies and this you know like pretty rainbows and whatever else you know it was this I made it into a artwork put it that way so then when Chad finally came over to meet you know like the family and came over to my house whatever and he's like what is that and I was like oh let Paula tell you this story and so anyways right from the get-go he was pretty much part of our family and um he's still the favorite child like my mom would be like oh what does Chad want I'm like who cares what Chad wants what do I want Every time we go back to visit, it's like, oh, I got this for Chad and I got that for Chad. And I'm just like, you know that there's like other children. Like, who cares? He's not special. I mean, he's special, but he's not that special. Like, I'm actually your child, not him. Anyways, he's fucking spoiled rotten in our house. But he seriously is one of the bravest people you'll ever meet. Because, again, once you meet my mum... And you have tacos. And I mean, he's been around like seriously. My little sister was six when he first started coming around. Okay. So he's been in her life her whole life. You know, she'll be 28 this year. So she doesn't know life before Chad. So it's like, you know, brother and sister, really. Anyways, so we're all having this family dinner. And my mom's like, okay, she's made tacos for um literally 20 something people because by the time you add the grandkids in and everybody's there okay so we're all gathered around and she's made like all kinds of sides and all the different meats and every freaking thing you could possibly add to a taco she's got on this table well chad has the balls to literally like you know say oh is it just me or the tacos uh need a bit more done and everybody's like Oh my God, I can't believe you just complained about the tacos because for one thing, my mom hates to cook. Like she will cook. Like I hate to cook too. It's not like we're like cooks or anything, but we can do it. So it's not like my mom's in there like, let me just cook this amazing meal for everybody. She's like, fuck, what are we going to do to feed everybody? And she loves having everybody come over. Don't get me wrong, but she's not like, let me spend seven hours in the kitchen and you know whatever so she's made this amazing meal for everybody and then Chad has the fucking nerve to go and talk to her about her tacos and she's like you can see as she finally sits down after she gets everybody ready and she's like Chad's complained about the tacos and so she gets up she doesn't even get to eat her thing goes and turns the oven on and she's like throws them in there you know like and <laughs> It's so funny. I'm laughing because if you could pitch it and everybody's just sitting there like Chad really is the ballsiest one of the whole family. He's got a lot of st- <laughs> he's got a lot of balls going up against Paula about her tacos. Anyway, so she throws them in the thing and then puts them back on the table and he's like, oh, my God, they're perfect. So anyways, and then obviously she's got this foul kind of face until he just comes up with 
oh, they're so much better. Feel our crunch. Is everyone else think they're so much better? And then everybody's, you know, cracking up laughing. And basically, in a nutshell, that is my family. Literally, everybody just at each other, everybody laughing. We're either quoting movies, abusing the shit out of each other, loving each other. I mean, that's how we roll. So I think that's a good way to sum it up. Paula and her tacos. She'll love that. Anyways, um, I really do have so much to talk about. I hope that I can get in here again, um, but I really am. I'm going to bring Chad in here. I'm going to press him for all good details, but i got to make sure the video's up and running because you've got to be able to see us together and see what it's really like living with us because people have said, oh, let's, you know, we want to do a documentary. We want to do this. We want to do that. But it's like, think that you just act like your normal self when there's video cameras around I mean eventually you probably do but at first you're kind of like you know people are bunging it on they're just making it up and making it you know more show than what it really is you know they're just doing everything for the for the you know they want to I can't think of the word I'm lost for words she's gonna have to sign off now um, you know, like they're trying to do everything for the entertainment value. Like there's literally a budget in there of here's all the crazy shit that we can do just to make this, you know, so worthwhile. And it's like, I would rather it just be like literally us. Cause at the end of the day, I feel like when we're just us being ourselves, it's just, you know, we are our own little shit show and I love it. Um, anyways, I hope that he'll come in on the next one and I hope that you'll join me again. Again, I've gone blank. I don't even know what I've talked about. You might have gone blank too. Hopefully that you're, um, I don't even think I've said anyways at any point in this. So that actually is a win. We'll save that for the next one. We'll have a shot every time I say anyways on the next show. So except if you're driving, you can't do that. Um, okay, well, I really want to thank you for joining me um, again I don't know what I talked about. It was a warm up. Bear with me. Stay with it. Um, we are at the bottom of the mountain together. We are climbing. I have actually accomplished something. I could actually just drop, I won't drop the mic because they just bought them new, but I could actually just drop the mic and go, I said, I'm done. I've recorded a podcast. That's it. Check. But I'm actually going to come back. I'm going to come back for more because I'm going to go home and I'm going to go, shit, I wanted to say this, this and this and this and it's all going to come out, but I'm going to keep coming. I'm going to keep working at it. Um, Hopefully didn't say, you know, have too many awkward silences or say um too many times, but it is what it is. Um, Thank you. I'm going to just keep talking. I didn't even sing yet. Did I sing?